Tomorrow is the eclipse. A lot, of, uh, a lot of emphasis has gone into all of this. Have you got your eclipse goggles yet? I should have had a pair and brought them up here. But uh, here in Southern California, my understanding is we're at uh, the, the best time will be 1021 tomorrow morning. We're going to get a 62% eclipse. Now, uh, there are certain parts of the United States in which it will be almost 100%. In fact, Portland, Oregon is where Norman, Karen, Ong are right now. They drove up to Portland because it's supposed to be like 99.5% eclipse, like a total eclipse. And I thought, what is all of the big, uh, the big deal in all of this? Because Norman, Karen told me they couldn't even get a hotel room. Motel 6 is selling for $600 a night. And uh, so they're sleeping in their car. And what's the big deal? Here's the description I found. You can li- uh, it, this is what uh, one person says. You can literally feel the ominous shadow before it arrives. The temperature drops. The wind picks up speed. Slowly, s- sunlight slowly dims, bathing the surroundings in an eerie twilight that produces colors with shades rarely seen in the natural world. Then it is time. Moments before the before totality, a wall of darkness comes creeping towards you at speeds up to 5,000 miles an hour. Then it is the full shadow of the moon. You feel alive. You feel in awe. Well, that is kind of inspiring. That sounds kind of cool. Uh, but this idea of a total eclipse, supposed to be this spectacular thing that is, very, that is felt very rarely. And so I bring all of that up because I wonder if there is a spiritual analogy we can play off of this morning. Just as the moon is much smaller than the sun in size, if positioned just right, it can block out the sun's light. And even though you and I, we are much smaller, obviously, than God, but yet if we are not set in the right place, If our hearts and our lives are not in the right place, we can block out the light of God as well. In fact, if we become focused in on ourselves, we can hide the love of God. And so my challenge this morning to us is to wrestle with these questions. Are you getting in the way of God's love shining in your life? Is there a partial eclipse, so to speak, or maybe even a a total eclipse? But is your heart, is your life free from obstructions, so that the love of God can shine forth. This morning we're going to look at an interesting uh, story from the life of David. We're going through a sermon series on this ancient king of Israel. And where we pick up at the story this morning is kind of at the height of his reign. Uh, He's won many many battles. He's defeated his arch enemy, the Philistines, and united the kingdom under his rule. We're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 9, but just a couple verses before uh, uh, 2 Samuel 9 and the end of chapter 8, it gives this summary verse. In 2 Samuel 8, 15, it says of his reign, David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right. What a wonderful picture. you uh, You get this picture of nothing is standing in David's way. That he, that he is powerful, that he experiences these successes. For the first time in his reign, there are no real threats, no challengers to the throne. And I would have to say that David would say, life is good. And yet with all of these successes, 
I can hear the words of warning ringing in my own ear. Don't let success go to your head. Power corrupts absolute. Power corrupts absolutely. We almost can anticipate that David, with all of these successes, will he continue to be a man after God? Or will he, or I am curious to see, will, he, with, will this power corrupt? And will he begin to be focused on himself rather than on God? Will the, will the moon so to, uh, come in, so to speak, and begin to hide part of the love of God shining through his life? The reason my curiosity is piqued because I know that, that, that in my own life, when I've had successes or opportunities of positions of influence, there's always the temptation there to get puffed up, to begin to try to guard my own image or to protect myself and to protect uh, uh, to protect my own, uh, the way that people look at me. That is our natural tendency. Isn't that what David shared this morning? That there is that, national, that natural selfish tendency that we think of our own needs and our own reputation and our own desire first. Dawson started uh, school this week. I think most kids are starting school either last week or starting uh, this upcoming week. And uh, his first day of first grade was on Wednesday. And so I'm putting him down for bed on Wednesday night, and we're kind of debriefing the day. How did your first day of school go? And he says, Dad, I want to be one of the cool kids. I thought, oh, wow, it starts very early, doesn't it? I want to be one of the cool kids. Uh, but by nature, we all want to be well thought of. We want to be successful. We want to be influential. And so no matter where we are at, whether we are in first grade whether we are at work, whether we are hanging out with our friends in their homes or at the, at the community center, wherever we are at, we have two options before us. We can either, one, represent God and promote the love of God, or two, we can promote ourselves and act out of selfishness. And so these are the two options that are before, Dan, before David this morning. Now we pick up the story, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. It says, David asks, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? See, at least at the beginning here, we see that he is looking for someone to promote the love of God to. This idea of showing kindness for Jonathan's sake. And if, that is, if, the, if the person that is presented to David, so we're going to have an interesting story here, if the present, person that is presented to David is a difficult person to love, will he continue with option number one, or will he fall back to option number two in promoting himself, acting out of selfishness, and protecting his own reputation? That's the story that is before us today. Let's pray. Father God, as we begin to look at the text this morning, I pray that you would uh, just guide us and lead us, that you would speak to our hearts. God, I know that there is always the natural tendency to want to look out for ourselves, but God, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that you would touch our hearts and help us to uh, once again be centered upon you and to say that, we, that our lives are organized to promote the love of God and not the love of ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, the first verse here kind of sets the stage, doesn't it? Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Kindness is the key word of this passage. It's given here not only in verse 1, but it's, it's also uh, given in verse 3 and verse uh, 7. Always on the lips of David. The word, the word that is used for kindness here is one of these words in the Bible that has a rich theological meaning. Uh, the, the, the Hebrew word that is translated kindness here is hesed. Sometimes it is translated mercy. Sometimes it is translated loving kindness. It's one of those words that we actually get a hard, we have a hard time finding a good, accurate English word for. It's, it's talking about all of the character of God. It's talking about his love and his grace and his mercy, his loving kindness, the kindness that is poured out upon someone's life that draws them into salvation and brings them into the love of God. This word is the word that is used when God describes himself to Moses. In fact, these are, this is the description that's given about God over and over in the Old Testament, but here is the first time that is given. God pro- passes in front of Moses and he proclaims his name and then he gives a description of his character. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness, maintaining loving kindness to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And so David is saying, how can I show the Hesed love of God to uh, someone from Jonathan's house? In fact, in verse 3, we could translate it this way. How can I do loving kindness like that of God? We've had this picture of David as this man after God's own heart. And here again, we get this picture that here is a person that seeks to represent God. He's, given the, uh, he's, given the, he's seeking the opportunity to show God's kindness to someone, to let the light of God shine through his life. And we as Christians ought to be characterized by the same type of love from God, should we not? Ought our lives ought not to uh, be filled with God's kindness? That is what draws people in to God. William Barclay, one commentator, uh, says, More people have been brought into the church by the kindness of, uh, of real Christian love than by all the theological arguments in the world. And that I believe to be the case. We could present the most sound argument, go into every little detail and uh, make sure every crack is covered up, the apologetics to the T, and yet what is most appealing about the Christian faith is when God's kindness uh, shines forth through our lives. So this is what David is seeking. Now in verses 2 through 6, we're presented with the person that David could show kindness to. Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They they summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked him, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I may show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Makar, the son of Amriel, in Lodabar. 
So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, in the son of Amriel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came before David, he bowed down to pay him homage. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. So this is the person that David was seeking out. Now I have to wonder, is this the type of person that David thought would be presented to him? You see, as uh, David, as a young man, was brought into the king's palace, and David was given all kinds of honor, as a, as, at first at least, as a young man. He was given authority. He was given responsibility. He had presence with the king. But David had something to offer. He was the one that had proven himself. He was the one that had taken down the giant Goliath. And yet this person that is coming before David has nothing to offer. In fact, the only description that we're given of him so far is that he is crippled in both of his legs. In chapter 4, we're actually told the story of how Mephibosheth becomes crippled in his legs. It happened on the day his father Jonathan and his grandfather Saul died in battle. You can imagine the scene of that day in Israel. It would be like if uh, the president and the vice president were killed on the same day here. There was chaos everywhere. Both the king and the successor to the throne had been killed, and someone was going to take up a position of power. And everyone knew full well that the first line of business would be to kill any challenger to the throne. And so even though Mephibosheth was only five years old, his life would surely be in danger. The the caretaker that was watching over him picked him up by his arms and began to flee for her life and for his life. And in the process of uh, fleeing for a safe place, she fell and both of his legs were crushed, broken in so many places that he would never be able to walk right. And so here is Mephibosheth, a crippled man, a man that has nothing to offer to David. And this is a person that would surely have been a difficult person for David to love. And it's not just because of his physical disability, but I think what is even more difficult may be because of his emotional state. You see, Mephibosheth is really a nickname, a nickname that began to characterize who he was. His birth name was Mary Baal, which we're told this in 1 Kings. Mary Baal means opponent of Baal. Baal was the false god of the day. The one that, uh, is, that the Israelites were always having to battle against the enemies that worship Baal. And so Mephibosheth was actually given a name of strength. He was be, to be opponent of Baal. He was to be a, a fighter. And yet he calls himself Mephibosheth, which means man of shame. And that is surely how he thought of himself. When he meets David in verse 8, it says, he says, What is your servant that you should take notice of a dead dog like me? That is how Mephibosheth thought of himself, as a man of shame, as a dead dog. Here is a man who is emotionally broken, who is physically broken. He's living in low debar, which means uh, no pasture. He's living out in, the, in a nowhere land. Nobody chooses to live in low debar unless they're hiding from something. And that is exactly what Mephibosheth is doing. He's, a, he's a, 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 a social outcast. He's emotionally broken. He's physically crippled. And yet, 
And yet this is the person that is presented before David. Will David show the kindness of God? Surely it's too hard. I would have to imagine David's got a reputation to uphold now. There's no challengers to the throne. Everything is in order. Success is upon the land. Surely this is too hard. It's too difficult because this man comes with so much baggage. It's too burdensome because this guy requires too much care. David's a busy man. He can't uh, take time to take care of this cripple. It's going to require all of this patience and time and energy. It's too dangerous. Not because he's a threat to the throne, but because he's a threat to his image and his lifestyle that he's got to protect. And yet, is not this the heart of God? If David truly wants to be, as he says, to show kindness like that of God, is not this the heart of God? To love even when it is difficult, burdensome, and dangerous? You see, this is the kind of life that I think God is calling us to live as well. To love even when it's difficult and it's burdensome and it's dangerous. Consider the life of Jesus. Did he not spend most of his time living with those that were on the outskirts of society like Mephibosheth? Did he not give the majority of his time to loving the hurting and the sick and the grieving and the poor? James 1.27 says, And wouldn't this be a great verse to commit to your memory? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. If you want to have a faith in your life that is acceptable to God, uh, a religion that that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, it is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, those that can't take care of themselves, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Paul says in Galatians chapter 10, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. You see, this is the heart of God. To remember those in our lives that cannot defend themselves, to look out for those that are hurting, that are like a Mephibosheth, that are crippled, that are crushed emotionally, to look out for the heart of God and to seek to be God's representatives. After Charlottesville uh, a week ago, they had on CNN two people that were meant to be give the Christian perspective of how believers should look at the events that took place with, with uh, the, the um, white supremacists and these, uh, and these groups, these neo-Nazi groups. Now, one of the persons that was a representative said, you know what, Christians should just ignore them. Let them do what they have to do, and eventually they will fall to the wayside. And the other guy said, no, we ought to actually be more vocal. We ought to be representatives. If if ever we can't say this is anti-Christian, this is satanic at its core, this is our opportunity to, uh, to represent the love of God. And I heard these two perspectives, and I couldn't, uh, and I couldn't imagine that one would have been more wrong and one more right in my perspective. We are not called to be shut up in our homes. We are to called to be God's representatives. We are called to speak God's truth into every situation. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, God has committed to us the message of reconciliation, that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, his representatives, as though God were making his appeal through us. Mephibosheth was physically handicapped, emotionally broken, and relationally in the cut-off man, and yet David did exactly the right thing. Look at his response here in verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Two things he did for them. One, he gave them all of his grandfather's land. and all, In other words, in an instant, he is completely wealthy. All of his physical needs will always be taken care of. He'll never walk, but he'll never have to work for a thing. He's extremely uh, rich. And then the second thing, and this is the thing that I think is actually even more significant, is he invited him to eat at his table all the days of his life. You see, it's one thing to just kind of give a handout and keep it at a distance. It's another thing to invite someone into our lives for our relational and our emotional needs to be met. The text goes on to give emphasis to the eating at table aspect. Four times does it bring this up again and again. Verse 7, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 13. When Dawson said, I want to be one of the cool kids at school, my response was, this is what you got to do to be one of the cool kids. He said, just be nice to everybody. Everybody likes you if you be nice to people. Dawson has a habit. He gets to school and he goes and he gives everybody, all his friends, a high five. I said, give everybody a high five, even those that are kind of hard to love. His response was, and I don't, sometimes you wonder where a, the mind of a seven-year-old is, but his response was, do I even have to high-five those that were in jail? I'm thinking, you got kids in your school that were in jail? Uh, but, uh, I, I, and so I said, no, you don't have to high-five them. Don't worry about that. But, but, my, but my point is, I think the heart of God is, the heart of God is to love everyone unconditionally, to show kindness to them no matter where they are at. To give everyone attention. To give everyone uh, love. Jesus said when you throw people a meal, don't just invite those that are, you know well that can repay you. He says, but when you, throw, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and, you're, and, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the dead. Actually, it says you'll be uh, repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. David sought to share the love of God surely with one of Jonathan's descendants because it was through Jonathan that David was first blessed. It's sometimes helpful for us to remember where we came from as well. Over my vacation, I had an opportunity to go back and uh, I actually preached in the community I grew up in. But it wasn't just my home church. It was all the churches of the neighborhood. Uh, all the churches of the town. And uh, so there was people there were, that were not only my Sunday school teachers, but my teachers in school, not only my youth group leaders, but my coaches and all of these things. And after I got done preaching, there was this long line of people that came up to say hello to me. And you know what every one of them said? Would have never thought you would have been a preacher. 
You know, I showed no real potential as a kid. I wasn't real smart. I, didn't, I wasn't a real, uh, uh, real great person. In fact, my youth group leaders, every time I went to youth group, they would say, 5828, 5828. It took four digits to dial my parents' number uh, from church. In a small town, all you got to have is four digits. Always threatening. I'm going to call your parents, 5828. And my youth group leader reminded me of that. And he said, I never would have thought you would have gone into the ministry. And now I look at my life and nothing to write a front page newspaper about, but man, God has blessed me. And I think, where would I have been if if it hadn't been but the grace of God? And isn't that true for all of us? It's hard to even begin to imagine where our lives would be at if it wasn't for God's love and grace getting a hold of us at one point. If it wasn't for the hesed, the loving kindness of God coming in and working into our lives. And so we have the temptation sometimes to get all puffed up and to get critical and to judge others and think, well, they shouldn't be in that position. But is it, are we not, not in that position but because of the grace of God? And so we always have these two options before us. To either represent God and to show his love or to promote ourselves and to act out of selfishness. And so here's my challenge today. This idea of the eclipse. Will we shine the love of God or will you block this light with with your own selfishness? We all have opportunities to show the kindness of God to others and to be God's representatives of his loving kindness. Let's pray that God would help us to do that. Father God, as we think about these things, the example of David and Mephibosheth is a pretty radical example, just of loving someone that obviously could not repay him. And yet, God, you would call us to that kind of love. God, I pray that you would strengthen us to be the people of God that you want us to be, to be the church of God that you want us to be. God, I pray that you would use us and work through us, that you would help us by your strength, because we know we can't do it on our own, to be your representatives and to show your loving kindness to all of those that we come in contact with. So we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.